Hello, I'm Pip Stafford and this is What Are You Looking At? For this episode of the fourth season, we put out an open call for stories from the inside. We wanted interesting anecdotes from arts workers and artists, and we expected lighthearted tales of working in the arts, invigilation, horror stories, and easy-to-edit soundbites. What we actually got were some pretty special personal stories from artists that really needed their own place to be heard. So instead of a fast-paced, snappy, singular episode about working in the arts, we're going to give you two episodes, both standalone stories, both very different voices. And next year we look forward to bringing you another one of these stories, a story from the inside. Fiona Hamilton is a Tasmanian Aboriginal activist, writer, artist and producer. She's an agitator for equity and change and she has been the CEO and General Manager of major Aboriginal corporations across Australia. This is Fiona's story. My biggest accusation of the arts in Tasmania is it's culturally gutless from an Aboriginal point of view. And it really is because everybody else is allowed to take a risk and is actually encouraged to take a managed risk in arts except for Aboriginal artists, you know. And we have to fit a very safe and formulaic kind of format to even be considered for arts events. And, you know, if we take risks, you know, we, we, we're managed, you know, far more greatly than any other artist um, because, you know, what we can't do is upset white fragility and we can't challenge white fragility um, because after all, that's our audience, isn't it? Because, you know, Richard Bell said it beautifully when he said, you know, Aboriginal art is a white thing. And, you know, I think there's, there's you know, there's something really true in, in, in that, in the complexity of, you know, who, who is your audience? Um, you know, and, and the bottom line is, is if your audience is solely Aboriginal people, and we should be able to target Aboriginal people as an audience, um, as Aboriginal artists. You just won't get a gig because, you know, we're talking a language that white fragility feels excluded from. Um, and if you are, you know, targeting a white audience, then you inherently have to... <sighs> Make sure that your material is palatable and understood for that audience. And, you know, I've just got to say, fuck that. Um, you know, we don't make art as Aboriginal artists to pander to audiences black or white. We're trying to tell stories and we're trying to still tell stories from our own perspective. <clears throat> I think the whole you know, concept of, you know, community-based uh, community arts pro projects for Aboriginal people and, yeah, you know, the need to endlessly consult every Aboriginal person and organisation in Tasmania to be able to create art um, is just an absolute furphy because why bother having dialogue and trying to generate dialogue if you're just going to actually predetermine what that dialogue looks like. It's just insane. Um, and I think, you know, working with with Mona and Dark Mofo over time has kind of taught me that. 
I think, yeah, two, two, even three years ago, I still would have been very vulnerable as an artist to, you know, thinking that as soon as some kind of contention erupted around an artwork, um, you know, you were, you, were, you were vulnerable to the politic of the Aboriginal community um, and, and, you know, being excluded if you defended a right to free speech. For as an you know, as an Aboriginal person, or for a non-Aboriginal person, um, you know, kind of, um, um, you know, making making art, um, and it's you know taken me a journey to understand that either you have free speech or you don't, and it doesn't matter who you are, um, and free speech might you know, challenge your community and where you're from, but your role as an artist is not to be fettered by that. Um, and there's risk in that. You know, you will be isolated as an artist. You will be maligned and marginalised. You will be abused at times. Um, but, you know, we talk about the need for, you know, a truth and reconciliation art park in Tasmania down at Mac Point. Well, you know, if it's an art park and if we're to use, you know, arts as a means to tell our stories, we have to be able to tell the truth. And that might be an uncomfortable truth at the time, at times, and it might be full of trauma. It might be, you know, full of, you know, the dirty little secrets that Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people would would rather not tell. But you know, you, you have to bring those things into the light because the truth and reconciliation process is not just about what white people are hiding. It's about, you know, what what black people are hanging on to as well and the ability to let that go and release um, because, you know, Aboriginal politics is not a clean space. It's a really, really dirty place and I can say that because, you know, I'm at the top of that pile and, you know, I, I know it. I know what it's like to deal with federal ministers. I know what it's like to deal with state ministers. I know what it's like to deal with funding bodies and traditional owner groups and, yeah, in really complex environments. And it's filthy. It's absolutely filthy. And the only sanity I have in that space is to be able to make art about my experience and about who I am and how I travel through that space. I think the really interesting thing about Mona is that slowly they are opening up to accepting, and I think it is an acceptance on their part, of having, you know, more Tasmanian Aboriginal art and more Aboriginal art in general on the program. But the risk management involved... I reckon is probably, you know, greater than what somebody like Mike Parr experienced when he wanted to make art about these spaces and about, you know, the cultural void and about hidden histories and about trauma and about, you know, um, you know, I guess things under the surface. And I wonder why it is that it's easier for Mike, Mike Parr, you know, to be able to speak about these things than it is for a Tasmanian Aboriginal person or a Tasmanian Aboriginal artist. 
And, you know, there was a very interesting tension between Island Shrine and Mike Parr's work. And nobody really explored that because, you know, here you had a non-Aboriginal artwork that was talking about, you know, all those spaces, I suppose, for, you know, Aboriginal people, and not just Aboriginal people, but convicts as well. You know, and there was the major Tasmanian Aboriginal organisation in Tasmania down on the barricades waving flags. And I just wonder where the waving flags were for their own people. And, you know, there's a very interesting conundrum in in that in terms of who leads this dialogue and, and who actually has the legitimacy in this space to be able to talk about it because, you know, Everybody wants to see the, the, you know, the white man, you know, hiding and re-emerge sort of thing because he's got the bucks to buy a container and sink it under, you know, one of the main historic streets of Hobart. But nobody actually wants to see the trauma of Aboriginal people and where we connect to our history, um, which gets shoved up the top of the Maritime Museum, which I'm, I'm not saying that's a bad space, but... You know, the, the, the difference of experience is very, very, in, you know, interesting. Um, and, it, you know, it's almost like dumb, like my I looked at the work and kind of went, hmm, there's water in it. Um, okay, we'll put it at the Maritime, you know, museum and, yeah, oh, they've, they've done something with islands. They've gone out in fishing boats. Oh, yeah, you know. So it, it's kind of culturally misunderstood from the start and I think, you know, there's a real conversation that we need to have to be able to equalise their standing in the arts as Tasmanian Aboriginal people. And, you know, if I go back to, to when we were working on Ninga Canoe, which was, a, you know, one of the first art projects I did with Dart Mofo, and the, the idea was to do a community-based arts project where we got two Aboriginal men from Cape Barren Island to come down and recreate, you know, a, a nearly four-metre um, you know, paper bark and reed canoe, not just to display um, and not done, you know, made away in secret. We wanted to make it publicly and we wanted to launch it on the Derwent River for Dart Mofo. And, you know, and we, and, and we did that. And, you know, processes of recovery of culture are a great risk. And, you know, it's intensely personal and it's joyful and it's got trauma and it's got a whole range of things that Tasmanian Aboriginal people are going through when we make projects like that. And, you know, how that project was received by the public was just beautiful. I mean, people really, really embraced that project. But at the same time that we were doing that beautiful, earthy, you know, from country recovering culture process, at Mona, you know, out under a, a canvas, you know, kind of um, tarp tent, you know, with fires burning and community coming out every day and punters coming out every day to see what we were doing. You know, Christophe Bichel was also planning a major exhibition at that time and so he was actually looking at, you know, creating his shopping mall within Mona um, and was planning, you know, major commentary on, I suppose, the condition of Tasmanian Aboriginal people, like historically and at that time. And so he deployed elements as part of that artwork around, um, you know, uh, 
you know, he made heaps and heaps of little chocolate heads of Truganini. And then without telling anybody, he put them in the fridges at the at the cafe at Mona. You know, all these people were trying to buy this consumable of, you know, kind of Truganini and chocolate. Nobody knew the price. And so it was quite clever. And, you know, he did the famous sort of stand in the foyer of the museum, which, you know, said something like, you know, be part of history, become a Tasmanian, are you Tasmanian Aboriginal person, have your DNA tested here? And, you know, and a number of other things, you know, we had a bar called the Midden Bar and, you know, we had, you know, all these references to Tasmanian Aboriginal culture. And and I'm not saying for a minute he should have consulted with the Aboriginal community, but because he didn't give anyone a heads up, including us, and he really didn't talk to us about what he was doing. Um, you know, that artwork was really misunderstood by the Aboriginal community and, and people reacted because they didn't understand it. And I don't think anybody realised the position that we were in as Aboriginal artists working out at Mona during that time because it's different from an Aboriginal organisation in the city or somewhere else in the state to look inside of Mona and kind of go, oh, that, that piece of artwork's offensive, we weren't consulted, that's horrible, we don't like it. But when you're an Aboriginal person actually working within that institution on a very different type of artwork that's very community-based and community-driven, you know, we were very vulnerable as artists because we felt we were at risk as well by that artwork because we felt at any moment the criticism could swing round to us from our own people. Like, what are you doing there? And wh- why are you still working with Mona when this artwork's here and we're all upset about it? So, you know, it was a really difficult position to be in and I don't think Mona anticipated what would happen. You know, I think all those experiences and all those mistakes that have made actually create enrichment because, you know, I can look at that and go, Ha, you know, when you started, you fellas knew jack shit and you still know jack shit, you just know a little bit less jack shit than you did when you started, right? But don't disengage with us and don't don't risk managers into the dust. Give us a voice. Give us a voice. You might not always like the voice that you hear, but you have to give us our voice as artists in the same way as you give it to Mike Parr with all his privilege and his whiteness and, you know, and his copy of The Fatal Shore in his box, you know, we're allowed to have, you know, our copy of, you know, sort of whiteness 101 for dummies inside Island Shrine. We're allowed to do that. And if you limit us as Tasmanian Aboriginal artists, if you dumb us down to just telling the palatable stories that 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 are safe and don't challenge white fragility and that don't push the status quo of the Aboriginal community and that don't take the risks that any other artist is allowed to take, um, then, you know, that's racism. 
you know, the, the big message for me is let us take risks as artists and let us but let us do our job as artists. And if that challenges white fragility, if that challenges the, the white or the black status quo, that's fine. But, it, you know, anything that, that kind of doesn't, I'd more call craft than art. Yeah. And I think there's an important distinction. You've been listening to What Are You Looking At, a podcast by Contemporary Art Tasmania. What Are You Looking At is produced by Lisa Campbell-Smith and myself, Pip Stafford. Audio mixed down by Brendan Walls. Soundtrack by Josh Santospirito. For more information about CAT and our programs, head to www.contemporaryarttasmania.org.